Hey, listeners, this is Marcia Epstein. This is Talk With Me on LawrenceHits.com. And we're recording on a lovely mid-June morning. And this show is dedicated to Jessica Elise, um, a poet, a dear friend, an amazing person, a participant in People's State of the Union, sharing stories there as well. And we'll explain what People's State of the Union is. We love you, Jess. Today is a time for me to have one of my guests be a member of this big family group, art, culture, collective, this great web of people doing cool things across our country under the umbrella that we call the U.S. Department of Arts and Culture. So the person who's my guest today is another one of my guests who I have not yet met in person, but we connected through some discussion on the U.S. Department of Arts and Culture um, group and we'll explain what that is. It is not a government office. <laughs> and it's this, this amazing thing for me that was I was introduced to by a, a poet in Lawrence, Kansas, who said, you know, our government should have an office of peace and culture and funding for peace and culture and it doesn't yet, but there's this people's movement thing. Anyway, my guest today is Emmett Phillips, and he's ready to introduce himself. I'm ready to have him introduce himself. Emmett, welcome. Well, thank you for having me. Um, and yeah, I appreciate the um, introduction and touching a little bit on the USDAC's impact. I'm glad you're informed. I, I really appreciate it. I'm, I'm a big fan of culture is really the part that brought me to um, USDAC. Culture, yes. look, history and people and and the, the ways that people bring their culture into their communities. And really, yeah, people, I'm a social worker. My main work is in suicide prevention, suicide bereavement, uh -huh. hard stuff. And how do we help each other get to life really worth living? We connect, we communicate. And yeah. our, is one of those huge ways, huge, huge ways. So, so Emma, t tell us a little bit, just a little bit about who you are, and then we'll go into lots of different things. Because you know, I was enthralled when I when I encountered you through the the group discussion. Looked at your websites, like this person is doing this amazing stuff. And and I will say, <laughs> my reaction to doing is this person is an awesome person. It's it's about being yourself and sharing that with the world. It's not about the quantity of things that you do that draw me to wanting to get to know you. So Emmett Phillips, who are you anyway? <laughs> <laughs> wow, wow, thank you. Um, well, um, I guess the best way to describe myself is I am a regular person <laughs> who has an extraordinary love for art culture, youth development, and social justice. All right. So with those four corners being like the staples of who I am, to align myself with organizations that are about those things. Uh -huh. So I guess on the outside eye, it looks like um, um, I do a lot. But for me, it's just doing what I love just with more, with different groups of people that, that have a similar vision, you know. So uh -huh. the USDAC, 
um, the United States Department of Arts and Culture being definitely one of them. Um, I, I also work with ASEP, which is Artists Striving to End Poverty, um, which is based in New York City. And they they take teaching artists like myself and pair them um, with, with others to to create experiences of upliftment, creative imagination, and empowerment for youth that are particularly in poverty or, or in um, more dire situations. So, um, like, all my, all my work is, is surrounded around those things. And um, I guess some cultural background is that, um, and, and one thing that really, I think, motivated me, even without me fully understanding it when I was young, to um, get into the field of culture and, and actually push that and share that with others was um, I grew up with two um, immigrant parents that were um, from Liberia. And um, they came to America around um, the 1980s, and they they brought their culture with them. So um, they raised children that got to experience um, indigenous um, culture in the household while also while simultaneously living in a American um, Iowan, particularly. I grew up in Des Moines, Iowa, living oh, wow. in that um, <laughs> in that society, which is really devoid of. Um, of a lot of diversity compared to just other places I've been. Yeah. Um, it was really, I, I found myself being like kind of an island of someone who's directly connected to um, my family and ancestral culture. Uh-huh. And a lot of my friends and peers just didn't have that, didn't, didn't have that. And I always, I always wanted to um, share mine with them, like through food, having them come to my house and see how we eat. The smells uh-huh. are different. The clothing is different. The, the way the speech in the house is different. Uh-huh. And um, I guess I, I grew very passionate about wanting people to discover that for themselves and also uh-huh. share that because yeah. I think that's what makes us a richer nation. Yes. And and I must say, I'm, I'm interested in how your parents chose or ended up in Des Moines, Iowa. Okay. Ah, man, you are quite the question asker, aren't you? I love it. I love it. <laughs> Great, great. Okay, so um, my mom, um, when she came to America, she was about 19. She was about 18 to 19. And um, she, um, one of the first places she settled in as a new, um, as a newcomer to the country was Washington, D.C. Mm-hmm. Now, I remind you, she came to Washington, D.C. in the 1980s. Um, Marsha, <laughs> you tell me what you, what, what you remember or know that, um, know to be true for Washington, D.C., and many other places um, during the 1980s? Honestly, I can't even imagine coming from another country and ending up <laughs> in that kind of metropolis. So it's like, I, I, it sounds overwhelming to me to begin with. So your mom is a brave woman. Yes, yes. Um, very overwhelming. And also, um, sadly, um, it was around the time where um, the crack epi- epidemic oh. was particularly wild in the D.C. area. Um, these, these are things that, um, like, I used to kind of read about, you know, the Ronald Reagan um, presidency, and, like, I understood there was, like, a, um, a, a um, crack epidemic that happened, but um, my mom, my mom and, and dad um, actually got to see firsthand what that looked like and how that ravaged particularly the black communities over there. And they they made it a point to um to consciously seek out a, a space that that had um, um a better economic climate a more you know and more opportunities for for success for for a family 
So they made their way. They made their way down to Des Moines, and they they, they fell in love with with it, and they they chose it as a place to raise raise me and my my brothers and sisters. Wow. Okay. So they were they were bringing their family to what hopefully would be a safer, healthier environment. That that makes sense. Yes. So so I could just imagine this map of the United States. We'll throw a dart somewhere in the middle. Okay, Des Moines is as good as any place else. Right. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I mean, essentially. Yeah. yeah. Well, I had to ask because I was I would have asked you how you ended up in Des Moines, but you already explained that part. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. I I don't think of Des Moines and, and this perhaps is my lack. I don't think of Des Moines as this huge art and culture center in our country. That's all. (laughs) Absolutely. One thing I can say about Des Moines, which honestly um, made me feel like it was a really perfect place for me and for me as an artist, was um, though there's not too much um, art and culture that's already developed and thriving, Uh there's a lot that is being generated and that is um, either newly introduced, like within the past five years, or is already in the works and becoming. It's a very bubbling, creative center. Wonderful. And Wonderful. I, I have to attribute it to, um, I have to attribute a lot of that to the, um, the economic conditions here in Des Moines. Um, it, it's, it's, it's a more financially stable state in this country, and I feel like. Um, for, for um, in order for a community or for a society to be able to to, to really um, explore into the arts deeper, and even for an individual to usually you need you need your needs met. You know, yes. uh, it's hard to be you know to be you know, let let yourself be creative and take that as far as you can when the the basic human needs you need your food, water, shelter, security aren't being met. So I feel like those conditions make it a lot harder for people to be creative. Um, and uh, Des Moines actually has, um, it has, I feel like it has a much, a much better um, financial situation than most states, which means there's, there's people that are, that are more free to explore and create and also innovate in a place where that hasn't already been colored with the art of the past or all these beautiful, famous artists of our country. Um, there's a lot of potential for, for new work and for new inspiration to come out. What a positive canvas. Yeah, I mean, like, what a positive way of talking about that because I can see that part too. That that because we're not immersed in a tradition that says this is what we create artistically in Des Moines, (laughs) then you then you do have that opportunity. I want to I want to challenge you just a bit to clarify though when you were saying that you know you have to have your basic needs met for art to thrive because we also know you know and I know I know from looking at your website. That, that art is a way to motivate change that's needed for social justice, which includes economic and educational and health and all those, those opportunities and needs being met. You know, so, so there's, there's that sort of duality there that if, we're, if things are too good, then some kinds of art might not get created. And when things aren't so good, we need art historically Culturally, throughout history, we need art to be able to motivate change, I believe. Yes, 
Absolutely, absolutely. And um, yeah, I, I will. I will kind of go deeper into that point. Um, so I, I feel like um, with that now, people obviously historically, people that have have grew up that have been subjected to adverse situations have used the power of art to to liberate themselves, but they shouldn't have had to. Right. <laughs> you know, they shouldn't have had to. And it's like there's a certain amount of energy that has to go in towards, you know, keeping keeping your life stable. That when that energy is wrapped up in that in that struggle, in that rat race, in that um, that struggling to, to just keep your head above water, it, it, it either at the very least it just limits the time that you have to dedicate to things that aren't survival based. Mm-hmm. Keeping people in survival mode, I, feel, I I mean I feel like to me. Um, Art is such a high quality of the human experience. It's such a high, um, a high experience of. It's one of the best experiences of being a human. But um, you know, working, working your job, which is paying your bills and doing these other things, they don't. A lot of the times, they don't really allow you to either be in that creative space or be your 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 highest your highest self. So people aren't aren't. A lot of people aren't giving themselves the luxury of of, of being in that space. Mm-hmm. You know, so um. That that's that's why I would just that that's what really makes me want want to um, focus on um, social justice issues, especially around poverty, because uh-huh. um, people who are creative are going to create no matter what. And I feel like oh, most people are creative, but if you if you you know have to spend all your time working your two jobs just mm-hmm. to be poor enough to not pay your rent, where's the time to dedicate to creating a beautiful? painting where's the time to pay for stu- where's the funds to pay for a studio recording studio session where's yeah. the you know where's the possibility for you to explore those those more those higher higher qualities of the human spirit yeah yeah so to me again it's it's this this interesting duality that that and i and i suppose it's because my lens is what really drew me into being aware, more aware of art, and particularly art in this Kansas City, Lawrence, Topeka area, and then beyond, was mm-hmm. that I was hearing some things, internet pieces, spoken word poetry, when I was, I was um, maybe I was working towards a, t- a talk that was about, um, you know, whatever, anxiety or whatever. I mean, it's kind of weird to, to put it in that kind of terms, but but looking at pieces of, of art that really spoke about what it's like to live with different kinds of emotional pain. And I was oh. hearing and seeing this eloquence and and it finally, you know, it's like it took me, I was a little slow because I, I, I sort of, I sort of lived in in the nonprofit world for a very long time in crisis and suicide prevention. And then when I was no longer fully immersed there, um, I, I started paying attention to the art and then then finding, so who's doing this around me? And I would have these conversations with people and it was coming up pretty spontaneously that their art, was saving their lives through really hard times you know that it you know this this kind of personal commitment to creating art that expression the clarification that happens 
in in creating the art. Like, gosh, earlier this week, I was talking to a friend who's a musician and an actor and more who has a play coming out that that is sparked by his own experiences with emotional turmoil and, and alcohol abuse and uh-huh. how he pushed through that. He literally ran into and through that. And, you know, and so so seeing art as this powerful self-expression that has healing in that self-expression and then also in the act of sharing it, it has healing for those people in the audience who go, wait, that's me too. This person is saying things at that mic that I haven't said out loud, but it's exactly what is going on for me. And now I know, one, I'm not alone. And two, maybe I can get through this, you know? So that's, that's to me, that's, that's where it's like, oh man, this is amazing and wonderful. And this is something I need more in my life and to share more of, which is why I'm doing this thing. Talking to you, for example. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And you have a big commitment to doing things with youth. So tell us a little bit about, you know, you're, you're welcome to tell about the specifics of what you do to help kids, to work with kids, but also how you decided that this is where a lot of your energy will go is to youth. Wow. Okay. Well, it's a pretty um, interesting story, so I'll just dive into it. All right. um, so um, I'll just. I was starting from high school. Um, I had an affinity for um, for hip hop, particularly for um, freestyle rapping. Um, for the, those in the audience that may not know, like what that means, it's more um, it's an art where you um, spontaneously, in the moment, create create rhymes, and sometimes you can use them to battle a person, or sometimes you can use it just to entertain a group and just share ideas spontaneously in the moment that have a rhythm and a rhyme and a message to them. So that was like my first, um, my first dabbling into the arts. And I really love that. And it's something that I always uh, found myself doing or being asked to do like all throughout high school. When I got to the end of high school, um, I knew that I didn't want to go. I had this feeling that I just wanted to do something other than graduate and go right into college like, you know, most of my friends were doing. Um, there's just a sense of me wanting something real, you know, something that I felt like would be more of a real experience. Mm-hmm. So um, my senior year of high, of high school, um, I chose to um, join the Army National Guard um, as a medic because at the time I also was interested in the medical field, you know. And it's so funny how artists, <laughs> they, they typically have some type of um, – need or affinity towards healing, whether Mm -hmm. it's, you know, creative healing or physical. But my first um, impulse was to, you know, be a medic. And I just, I just wanted that real, that real life training and experience. So um, after um, I I got my training done, I came back to Des Moines um, to to go to college because I wanted to be able to um, get, get my degree so I could be a PA in the army and, um, and also just, really take it as far as I can, um, as far as my, my healing arts in the military. But um, during my um, second year of college, my sophomore year of college, um, I was enrolled in ROTC at the time, and, and that, that was paying for my school. Um, do you remember uh, when the government shut down in about October 2012? Okay. 
You remember that? Can't agree okay. on that. We sat down. Yep. Yeah, yes. So during that time, um, I actually had my um, the scholarship that I was paying for the my, the rest of my school that I earned. Um, I got an email from Iowa State um, Cadet Command saying that they didn't have due to the government shutdown, they um, they didn't have the funding for my scholarship anymore. Uh, and I was one of the only people in that case because I was like a new, um, a new, so uh-huh. everyone else was good, you know, but me, um, I, I got that email saying that they didn't have the money for it anymore. And, um, so that was kind of like my, my first pivotal um, moment of, okay, I, I need to make a very, um, a severe change because after that, that two weeks was up, the government shutdown lasted about two weeks. They, um, re-offered me, um, my scholarship. And um, I chose to decline it, knowing that that meant that I'd be taking a break from um, college as well. But um, everything in me during that time, I also was writing a lot of music at that time. So I'd never stopped doing that. It was a it was a part of my life throughout the whole time. Mm-hmm. But um, it led me to um, just get out into the workforce. And my first um, job in the workforce after um, getting out of the military was working at a Boys and Girls Club. And that's why I fell in love with, <laughs> like, that. all that experience is what led up to me, um, my first um, audience of youth. And I realized that I had a, a just a, an affinity towards working with them, um, that they, they enjoyed me, and um, I was able to um, just have a lot of fun around them and, and also teaching them. Like, I enjoyed showing them things and helping them learn things about themselves. Uh-huh. And um, I started off volunteering at the Boys and Girls Club, that turned into a job offer, and um, I, I worked there for six months. I created, like, a drama program within it, and because I, as an artist, like, I, as soon as I got an audience of youth, I, my, my, my next goal was to figure out how to infuse the art into this, you know, into this space and get these kids being as creative as they can. Cool. So that's really, really where I started. And, um, I worked at the boys and girls club for a while and then found, um, the job, um, my main job that I have now, which is working, um, as a program assistant at a, um, at a nonprofit called children and family urban movement, where I have like, um, much more freedom to, um, design curriculum for kids that is art based. Um, and, um, that is is what I, is is what I do currently. Mm -hmm. And, um, we focus on community engagement, we focus on um, empowerment, particularly through um, communication skills, um, which is, you know, what, one of my favorite mediums of art, um, spoken word, poetry, rapping, even theater. To me, I just see that as all um, different forms of communication. So I use those skills and that training I have and weave it into curriculum at our after school program. And we, we make magic happen every, every week. Uh, awesome. <laughs> and you just did a big trip with some of your youth, right? Yes, yes. Um, yeah, um, on Sunday evening, um, I got back in town um, from a trip that we called the Cultural Tour. And um, the theme of this cultural tour is, yeah, it just, bring, it just brings back to that, um, that point about the, the value of culture. Um, we realize here in Des Moines, um, there is a lot of um, African-American culture that is missing, um, that's missing from um, the public access. Like, you may have it in your household. You, you may have a cousin's house you can go or maybe, like, one one or two stores or something that, that kind of reflect your culture as an African-American here. But it's, it's, 
it's very, very scarce. It's very scarce here. So we designed a tour to take the kids out to places like Chicago, all the way to Atlanta, to Washington, D.C., to Nashville, Tennessee, um, so they can experience um, Black-owned businesses, Black-owned restaurants, um, Black community centers, and, and get a feel for, for um, something that they really, they really can't get a lot of here. Uh-huh. So um, we, we just ended that tour. Um, the kids w- were able to um, visit Martin Luther King Jr.'s house. They were able to explore Washington, D.C., the monuments, and even understand the history behind um, some of those beautiful statues that were built in D.C. Um, we got to hang out in a historical district of Nashville, Tennessee, and even um, hang out in a recording studio that James Brown and Ray awesome. Charles have recorded in. <laughs> um, th- they just got, you know, they got so much value out of out of this trip, and um, it just it just really strengthened um, the necessity for for what we're doing together um, as artists and as advocates for culture and art in the country. It's very, very important. And the kids are trained. <laughs> you know, they're, they're yes. trained forever. Their eyes are open. Yeah. That's so beautiful. And and when I think about working with with youth in general, what I think about is, man, the earlier we learn stuff about our goodness about communication, our value, you know, the the more time we have as we go on in life to use and develop those skills in new ways. And, yeah. and I always think about the power of, of art for, for youth who aren't necessarily going to connect with something that looks traditionally academic. They're not going to be inspired sometimes by what's going on in school. And not all youth are sports youth, you know, and and not all youth are growing up in easy environments by any means. And so so art becomes to me that tool for expression. And maybe when I can get some of that out on canvas or in dance or in spoken word or you know whatever art draws me, then I maybe use some healthier behaviors in other situations because I've had that opportunity to express that intensity in a safe way. Uh-huh. Yeah. Very cool. Wow. Stuff. That's yeah. I agree. <laughs> yeah. It's just really good to talk to people that um, see the value because it's pretty shocking that, you know, as, as, as like obvious as it is to us about the value of arts and culture, um, it's not like a unanimous, you know, feeling in the in the political landscape of our country yet. Mm-hmm. Even though I feel like the majority of people truly value it. Very right. interesting. Right. And I love that you use the word yet. That's one of my words. Yet. Yeah. May, we may not be doing that yet, but we're working towards it. We see the potential. We have hope. We want to do our parts to help move in that direction. Um, so I, I like yet. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We're always yeah. You, we always have to um, put ourselves in a progressive mind state. I mean, that was what's gotten us this, this far in this in this country. And um, yeah, that that should always be the tone of the conversation. Uh huh. I I would love for you to say some things about some of your personal projects. And it may be that you want to do some of that 
by talking about them. It may be that you want to share something. And, and I'm really leaving it to you in terms of when and where in this hour we have you want to do what. But but I'm really, you know, when I, I look at your, your web page, um, E-P-I-Z-F-R-E-E, E-P is free, yes. you know, yes. and there's there's this huge set of things that you are immersed in and that you're sharing. And to me, it all falls under this this same set of concepts we've been talking about, about art and social justice, that this is who you are and this is how you live your life. So how would you like to share more about you right now? Wow. Okay. Well, um, I will, I will, well, I guess I already have just a tad bit by um, talking about how I, I got into hip hop um, through, I don't know, I guess the unconventional pathway of just like not even really interested in making music, but just like the, <laughs> I don't know, like the mental craft of just seeing if I could like, come up with different creative ways to say things in the moment, you know, mm-hmm. that, that, that was like my first, um, my first bit with it. But, um, that developed into a, a really, um, serious, um, serious aspirations of being an artist because, um, even, even when I was younger, um, I just saw the, the need for a voice and even more voices um, that, that are that are using a hip hop platform to communicate about social justice issues and um, self development and empowerment issues, and, and that's that's what I do with um, my hip hop now. Mm-hmm. Um, just like some little some little weird facts about about me and and my my dedication to this. Um, so when I was eighteen, um, I went to Fort Sill, Oklahoma, to do um, my basic training. Or, um, yeah, to do basic training, all right? Um, there was very, very little freedom within the, um, the, whole, um, the whole setting of being in basic training and being, like, you know, just a straight, brand-new recruit. Like, it was a very, very controlled environment. But the one, the one thing that was, like, you know, an oasis of freedom for, for me was, like, on Sundays we were able to go to this on-post church that was like a Protestant church and they would have a live band and there'd be like hundreds of soldiers in this auditorium. And that was like one of the few things we could do and not be micromanaged by girls hearts and stuff. <laughs> and like, you know, it was one of the few things that you could do and just like get out of that environment, you know? Mm-hmm. So I went there and I, I got some live music and um, one day I saw, um, so after like, like the, the, the band played their, um, you know, played, played their songs, um, they they had a soldier come up and um, perform some spoken word, and once I saw that, I was like, "Oh my gosh, I need to find a way to perform on this stage before I graduate basic training. Before I leave here, I I need to perform. Like I need to perform. I need to make that happen. So, um, on top of you know doing what I need to do to just survive that training and get done with it, I managed to create <laughs> create a, a rap. And um, I found a drummer. <laughs> I found a girl. Um, it was a, it was a woman named. Um, her last name was she was Private Smith. And um, Private Smith was from Chicago, and she could drum. She told me she could drum in conversation, like you know, one day. And I was like, I need to have her drum for me, and I'm gonna rap 
to the staff <laughs> before right. I get out of here. Uh-huh. And I found a way. I found a way to perform uh, before the end, the end of basic training. And I got a standing ovation. So I guess I guess it went well. Wow. That's I also tried to... <laughs> I also tried to have the soldiers that were, that were there uh, a beat, like just do a mm-hmm. simple clap rhythm for me to rap over, and I had to I had to stop that like immediately because the rhythm was just off. So I was like, all right, uh, <laughs> I was like, okay, guys, all right, stop. I'll let my drummer do it. I get y'all have to do it. You know. So your so soldiers show, like, <laughs> have no rhythm. Okay, we just heard it here. <laughs> yeah. Like, collectively, like, they just couldn't make it happen, collectively, you know? It just takes, yes. like, enough people being offbeat to throw it off, so. Yeah, yeah. I can't that and, and performed, and so after Fort Phil, Oklahoma, I flew over to um, to Fort Sam, uh, Fort Sam Houston um, for um, my, my medical training, and that's in San Antonio, Texas, and um, I spent, like, the next six months there. So, um, honestly, uh, that, that was very, very... Um, I guess, challenging training because, like, on top of, like, the, the military things you're learning, um, you're also, like, getting your, your actual, like, EMT basic certification. So there's mm-hmm. just a lot of, like, academic and, like, um, real-world certifiable skills that, that us soldiers were responsible for retaining and getting our certification in, too. Uh-huh. But I'm still an artist. So in the, in the meantime, during my training, I found – so we were on this really, really large, large base in, in San Antonio. And um, I had a friend that I, that I went to um, uh, Oklahoma with, uh, Fort Sill with, that was actually on the same base as me, but we weren't in the same area. So one day, I, uh, I was just exploring this large base, and I found, like, some dorm room-looking buildings that, that were on campus. And I was like, ooh, I wonder what type of soldiers are living there. And I found out that it was the pharmacy tech soldiers that, that were living in that area. I was a combat medic, so I was living uh, in much different conditions, <laughs> not in, in, like, dorms. We were in, like, barracks, you know. So when I found that, I was like, ooh, this is cool. And I found out that one of my friends, um, his name is Sean Pennington. Um, he goes by Peasy. Um, he actually um, had a recording studio set up in his closet, <laughs> in on his in his you know in his in his like dorm room like barrack. And once I found that out, I was like, okay, I'm gonna record some stuff here. Uh-huh. And I ended up recording about seven songs while you know doing my thing, getting everything done. And I actually performed in downtown San Antonio before I left. This is the stuff I did before I left. You were you wild. Know, before I graduated. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, so it was that crazy. But it just shows, like, that's how much I love, like, I've, I've always I've always loved, you know, hip-hop. And now, fast forward to now, um, I have a project that's out on Spotify, iTunes, Apple Music, all, all the all the major um, music distributors uh-huh. called Fear. It's called Fear to Freedom, and I use the number two. And um, to me, it's just like a life. It's a life mantra. Uh-huh. Um, I feel like um, really, I know for a fact that um, up until recently, most of my decisions were motivated by fear. You know, fear of uh-huh. failure. Fear of my even own greatness, fear of other people's expectations, um, just a lot, a lot of fear um, was um, affecting a lot of the decisions I made, which was really holding me back. And um, once I started, like, like 
one of the defining moments or defining acts of freedom was choosing to like turn down that scholarship um, when they re-offered it to me back after the government shut down. That was one of my, you know, that was a radical act of freedom for me because it would have been more secure and safe for me to just accept it, even though I lost my trust and faith <laughs> completely mm-hmm. in the, in that, you know, but it, mm-hmm. it was there for me, you know, but mm-hmm. I knew I would be going into the unknown. And really ever since then, um, I'd, I'd, I'd shifted myself from a fear, a fear state and state mindset to, um, a, a one of freedom. And, um, my, my decisions that have been rooted in freedom have, um, brought me to the life I have now. Um, and that's, that's what I want. Um, that's what I want to share with others through my yes. music, and that's also yes. what I want to share to the kids, to adults, any to anyone with everything I do. That's uh-huh. basically like the the crux of of who I am as an artist. Yes, beautiful. Hey, we're gonna take a quick break here and hear from a couple of the businesses here in Lawrence, Kansas, okay. that sponsor LawrenceHits.com, and then we're gonna be right back. Um, This is also my time to say thank you to Daniel Smith, who produces the show so that people get to hear it. And we will be right back with more talk with me, with my guest today, Emmett Phillips. And Emmett, I'm going to ask you directly when we come back to share some of your work to, to be able to let us hear some of whatever genre you want to share, but but for us to hear that. So folks, come right back. We'll be back. Okay, welcome back to more talk with me. This is, to me, a very inspiring show. And I had said that after the break, we would get to hear some of Emmett Phillips' art. So Emmett, are you ready to share that with us? Yes. Yay. Yes, I am. Yes, I am. Okay. So at this moment, I want to say that uh, for all those listening, um, you can check out like my first um, full uh, project produced by um, my Des Moines producer, Woozy Moines, also featuring a um, track produced by Jay Banks. It is called Fear to Freedom. Check it out on Amazon, iTunes, Spotify, everything. But I'm going to share with you something I actually just wrote uh-huh. um, that is not on the project. But um, so this actually kind of ties into the work I'm, I'm doing with the youth right now. Um, the, the youth um, have been reading a book called Pain to Power. Um, well, actually, it's the trade power. Yes, Rest in Power, the Trayvon Martin story. And the world has become that story. And... Um, the for me one of the basic the basic issues that really made a Trayvon Martin possible was um, the fact that he wasn't seen as a human being he wasn't seen as a person um, not even down to the trial he he wasn't being seen as as actual person you know more and he was kind of made into this caricature of of what um, America's fear of of a black male is mm-hmm. so um, this is poetry at this point at this Point, which will probably turn into a verse um, that's inspired by that. So it doesn't even have a name. Okay. <laughs> so we're going to dive into this. Come. I told him I'm a person, not a character. I need a new version of America. They don't see a human when they stare at you. 
I need a new version of America. You shouldn't have to be famous for them to cherish you. I need a new version of America. I need revolution in my area. Wait, I see revolution in my area. I am black in America. Hope it gets better. I still see the legacy of the lynch letter. We know a people is weaker when they can't work together. If you dismember a memory, slavery works forever. Hmm. The White House is looking worse than ever. Something in the cabinet reeks of moldy cheddar. My mama molded go-getters, not dope sellers. I was born with propellers, not broken feathers. I am free. Embroider that in gold letters. I gotta be on the border of an old feller and neonate. I'm living Neo's fate. I know my people great. Too hot to cremate. Too cold to freeze alive. I need a peaceful vibe. My flow's Miranda right. It shows my legal side. I'm not the scandal type. That's just my evil side. And it don't get enough sun. It's looking panda white. If you can't stand the fight, then hand your gloves in. I ain't out clubbing. Books on my desk in dozens. And once I'm done with them, pass them to my cousins. Help them learn about Atlantis before it's sunken. Teach them learnings and lantern within a dungeon. Sharing wisdom is the mission when I come in. I let the limitations out and let the love in. I let the candlelight crackle while constructing. I love it. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. And so that's a very new poem. And as you said, not even yet christened by Emmett Phillips. And so in terms of your writing process, you, you mentioned this is what will happen next. What, what how, how do you see this poem growing as an example of how you do your writing, your creating? Oh wow! Well, honestly, I would say like the writing does me. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah, a lot of it, and I think it's maybe because of how um, I introduced myself to the art form. Um, I always did more um, spontaneous um, creation of lyrics. Mm-hmm. So like I wouldn't I wouldn't rehearse like I would just have to be responsible for coming up with it in that moment. So maybe it's attuned my mind to just be able to just channel channel lyrics um, um, rather freely. But really mm-hmm. I just it's more of a listening process for me. Like I sit down and um, just record um, what what's coming from within, and um, usually it's inspired by um, really anything. It may be inspired by um, a friend passing away. It may be inspired by the stand your ground law just being passed. It may be inspired by um, a youth that just blew me away with one of their poems. Mm-hmm. Um, but either way, I sit down and, and listen. I get very quiet and I allow those lyrics to come out and just record them. And sometimes I edit things to just fit a certain pattern or a certain rhyme scheme. But for the most part, it, they, it writes itself. I just record it. That's beautiful. And and when you say you recorded, I'm this is one of my nerd things. So like do you do that on technology? Do you do that pen on paper? How do you oh, um, capture those words? Ninety nine percent of the time it's on paper. Okay. Or or it's just um it comes directly um from within and then I record it. I have like an old fashioned like recording device. I don't even like recording on my phone. Uh-huh. I'm not I know millennials are supposed to be known for like their love for technology. Uh-huh. I write, I write, I, I love to put pen and paper, pencil and paper together. Uh-huh. Um, that's how I write. 
like uh-huh. everything. That's how my whole album was written. So that's awesome. yeah, but that's my favorite medium for sure. Uh huh. That I I love that. I love that. So so there's that that because to me there's something different about the the action of you know from heart and brain through the the pen or pencil onto paper. It's different to me than than fingers on keyboards of whatever kind. Uh, Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So let's back up a little bit because we can say more about the U.S. Department of Arts and Culture. And and I would love to have you tell people both a a little bit more about it. And I'll put the link out there um, with the announcement of the show, but also how you found it. How did you how did you get involved? Okay, excellent, excellent. So um I found out about the USDAC through um one of my um colleagues, um uh, one of my ASEP artists striving and poverty colleagues. Um we have we stay in contact um through a, a Facebook group that's just filled with artists that are scattered throughout throughout the globe that all um belong to like the ASEP family. Mm-hmm. And um, one day they posted a link that um, said that, that this organization that I didn't know about that's called the USDAC was recruiting cultural agents. And um, they suggested that ASTEP artists apply to get involved with them. And I was like, hmm, okay. Because one, I have a, a lot of very high respect for um, the people that work with ASTEP and that are affiliated with it. So really anything they say, I, I at least, you know, consider it and check it out. Uh-huh. So um, I, I looked directly into the USDAC, checked out their website, saw that they that they're a people-powered department. That alone had my heart. Yeah. They are a people-powered department, and they're about grassroots action. That yeah. that That is what, <laughs> you know, like, that's what I'm about. You know, I love, I love the action. I love that they are, um, they're inclusive. Because um, I like the fact that you, you don't have to be, like, some type of famous organizer or uh, you, you, you really just have to – the main ingredient to work with them is a passion and a um, – of, of duty when it comes to, um, so, you know, social justice and, and sharing your voice and creating a more equitable nation. And um, the fact that those, those were the, some of the key principles that the USDAC was about. I applied. I took a I took a leap of faith and um, applied to be a cultural agent for the third co- cohort, and um, I was lucky enough to um, be be chosen. I was actually um, in New York when I was doing my um, my follow up interview because I made it past like to the you know this video call where I got to meet Adam Adam Horowitz, who's one of the chief um, leaders of it. And um, I got to meet him and talk and talk to him about, you know, why why I really want to do this. And I guess something about that interaction <laughs> got me to become a, a cultural agent. And I've been working with them, um, do, participating in events like the People's State of the Union, uh-huh. um, Imaginings, which are just large, large and even small gatherings of um, human beings, citizens, um, caring and contributing folks that... Um, need and want to have their voices heard and understand that 
that's exactly what the democracy is supposed to be about mm-hmm. and what it can be about in this country once, you know, even things like the USDAC are more in the forefront. Um, yeah, so um, I took pleasure in, like, just um, facilitating and holding space for people to explore what they think and look through their own personal experiences and say, hey, maybe America hasn't been the country that it sold me on being on. Because mm-hmm. if it was, then why did I have this experience? And why does she have that experience? Mm-hmm. Why does that person from that demographic have that experience? You know? Mm-hmm. Um, so each each event from the imaginings to, um, to the um, People's State of the Union, just they brought everyone into a such a true space of reality because they're hearing firsthand stories, not rhetoric um, trickled down from politicians or vested interests. They're just getting raw, um, raw, true stories from each other that help them truly understand and be able to empathize with what other people are going through. Mm-hmm. And I think that's empathy is is very, very needed for a successful collaboration as a country or even just as a small group of people. Yep. Yes. And and to me, empathy increases when we have more interactions, when we learn, you know, that's that to me is it's, it's kind of like, well, and, and again, I come from this background of working in crisis and suicide prevention and working with people who are community volunteers who want to help others. And and although there are skills that you can teach people Empathy isn't so much a skill you can teach people. It's it's part of who some people are more than others is what I believe. But our ability to empathize with people is enhanced when when we're around people whose experiences, histories, cultures, etc., are different from ours, and we listen. And. Yeah. When, when I think about the People's State of the Union and, and the, the idea being once a year, the USDAC invites people and communities across the country to bring together people in story circles where every person's story is equally valued and, and equally respected yeah. and, and heard by everybody in that circle. And then the circles share together with whatever size gathering and the stories from the circle with permission from the people in those circles gets shared nationally in this website. And and we learn things about people's experiences. We get those reminders. You know, I, I think about this has nothing to do with USDAC, but, but as a reminder of how we don't know things until we bump against them. I had a point um, in my starting of college and I it wasn't where I needed to be at the time and I maneuvered a way to go travel and it seems kind of ridiculous to say it out loud but I actually realized that I could go to France um, where I had I had studied enough French that I thought you know that that's where I wanted to go in terms of I'd be able to communicate um, I could go to France for a few months for basically the same cost or less even than it would take me to be in school for that semester. So I so I made this plan and and I did it, and and I met somebody and you know a lot of what I was doing was pretty span, spontaneous and random and I went met this person so and I went to visit him in the part of the country that he lived in, and I was uh, I found that I was 
I was kind of having some not ex not totally scary, but kind of weird interactions on the street. And he mm -hmm. explained to me that the reason that was happening is because although I was trying to be dressed pretty conservatively, nicely, respectfully for being in this community, in this culture, I didn't know I was wearing a skirt and a button down shirt and I was wearing tights and, and clogs. And, and um, I had the habit of wearing tights, in particular black tights, rather than like the kind of clearish stockings that women were supposed to wear. What I didn't uh -huh. know that black tights meant that I was a prostitute. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> wow. So, so that's kind of a random but weird reminder that sometimes we don't know what we're communicating and we don't, you know, and also that, you know, that we don't know that people may be perceiving things and experiencing things very differently than we realize. But you don't know that until you bump against it sometime. And to me, that's that's part of, of really continuing to learn and grow and empathize and connect with people is listening and learning about different people's experiences and believing whatever we hear when somebody says, this is what my, my experience is when I do this thing, this is, this is how I am treated in this environment, you know, whatever the thing is, we don't get to say, Oh no, 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 no. That's not what, that's not right. That nobody would mean to do that. Blah, blah, blah. We need to say, Oh, wow this person has this kind of experience on a day-to-day -day basis. Of course, this thing that I can do easily because I am, in my case, a woman, I am a white woman, you know, and, mm -hmm. and so so I'm treated differently than, than some other people might be. And I need that mm -hmm. reminder and respect for, so what can I do to be somebody who stands up, not stands by? And to me, again, that's part of empathy. And art helps us learn stuff. It just does. So I want I, I want to move back to you. We you know we we want people to know about U.S. Department of Arts and Culture. USDAC.us is the web address to learn about that. And and Emma, I want to make sure people know a lot about you because one of the things that I am a huge advocate for and um, that I do personally is. I believe in using some of my time and money to support art by making purchases that I can afford of art that I really like. And so I want to make sure people know that there are a variety of ways that they can be supportive of what you're doing and benefit from what you're doing. You know, you mentioned having, having some new music. Um, what else would you like people to know about how to find you and, and how to get involved with things that you're doing um, and, and help you be able to do that? Okay. Um, great question. Um, well, um, if anyone goes to E-P-I-Z-F-R-E-E.com, that is an excellent place to start. Um, and, and I will tell people, I'll, when you go there and you cruise this page, you go, oh, wow, <laughs> this man, this person, this how does one person do all of this? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, you know, um, it has my, like, it has ways to get a hold of me. So, you know, just um, let me know, interact with me. Let me know what, what you have going on. And you're, I'm all about, like, discovering um, acts of freedom in all, in all their various regions and their various ways. So I want to know about what you are doing 
to um, add freedom to your life and maybe even to the lives of others, let let me know. That that inspires me. And um, a great way to support me is, is by doing that and just letting me know what you have going on. If there's any way I can come come to where you are and perform or, or teach your kids something or, or any way I can be of service, um, that's what I want. That's what I want to know. So. And I, I know because I'm looking at your your um, site right now, you have an ebook. And so oh yes. Tell <laughs> us that. Yes, yes. Oh um, yeah. Please um, go to Amazon.com and um, check out the Fear to Freedom ebook. Um, it's it's my first time um, writing an ebook, and um, one I really enjoyed it, and I think it offers a lot of good insight and um, hopefully adds some value to um, the lives of those that want to add more freedom to their life, or those who know that um, that that could pass along to someone someone who who needs that. Um, I by no means am like just came into this world as a fearless person and just stayed that way. I mean, uh, I think the whole the whole point of this life is to get to those lows and be in those spaces of fear and pull yourself out. So um, if, you, if you're interested in stories like that, um, I definitely have some good words for you in that ebook. So mm-hmm. Anne would love more recommendations of things to read, like this is my favorite topic, freedom. So any books that I should, I should check out, you know, um, go on my website, interact with me, let let me know. Um, yeah, let's let's build more freedom together. Yeah. Cool. And and I want to ask you another personal question, which is the culture of your parents, your historic culture of Liberia. What are some mm-hmm. of the themes in that 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 really influenced you and your work that you're doing now? I don't know about that culture. Um, so some of the things that influence my, influence me now from Liberian culture, um, one is a, um, sense of unity and responsibility for others, which, (laughs) uh, America could probably learn a lot about that. Um, Mm -hmm. it seems to be so like individually driven, capitalistic, um, you know, get ahead of the next person. But like both my parents grew up in families where, um, well, they actually grew up in, in different types of family. Like my dad grew up in a very indigenous and, and tribal family, and my mom grew up in a more um, uh, a more wealthy family. But on my mother's side, she she grew up like raising other people's kids because um, my grandmother, her mother, was was more affluent in Liberia. So when you had because they had more um, funds. They actually raised other people's kids and was able to get them into nice schools, have them looking clean and getting a good education just because they um, they had the means, you know. So I think that that type of psychology is, is, is just runs through my blood in every way. And yeah. <laughs> everything I, I do, like I want to, um, you know, bring others up, bring others up and bring them uh-huh. along, include them, invite them, and empower them to, you know, to have that same experience, like living like a village, you know, yes. really. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. And so that is who you are and that is what you do. And that's <laughs> so cool to me that it's also honoring your culture. Yep. That's who you are. Yeah. 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 
And for people who are in or near Des Moines, how how they get involved with you and the field office, um, USDAC activities in Des Moines? Well, um, I would just say, um, so I, I'm I'm working on establishing like in a like right now our field office is very guerrilla like yeah. it's very <laughs> you know it's very like um, I make a few calls then we all assemble but um, yeah we're working on um, making some more um, structure around it and maybe getting like a um, specific site for us to meet so mm-hmm. um, I would just say um, stay stay in tune with me and um, as as I develop that. Um, I, w- I would love to um, put that out for people. I'd probably just put it right on my website um, so people can, um, you know, have an easy way to join in. So that that is there's more to come, more developments on the um, Des Moines um, outpost here. Cool. And with the different programs that you work on with youth, my guess is going to be those are programs that also incorporate some volunteers, some donations to yeah. get things going for the kids. What are ways people can help with those kinds of things that you're doing with, with youth in Des Moines? Wow. Okay. So it depends. So if you want to help out with um, children and family urban movement, you can volunteer. It's a very, very um, easy place to volunteer at. Um, there's K through 12 programming. There's breakfast clubs. If you want to, if you, if your hours are so that you only have free time in the morning, there's supper club if you want to just volunteer in the evening and serve some food. And then there's, you know, K through 12 kids and so many different ways to just volunteer your time. So that's that's really, really, really simple. Um, with USDAC, you know, to just go on the USDAC.us and become a citizen artist. Just put your name and your email in there. You'll, you'll be informed. You'll get the updates. And um, you'll you'll be connected with our group. And um, it, it's very, it's very um a very good way to know what's going on. So when these events are coming up, you already know about them before our outpost starts, you know, pushing it and promoting it. Mm-hmm. Um, I work with uh, Movement 515, which is a um, mainly a, um, a urban arts program for uh, teenagers and now for middle schoolers. So if you want to support Movement 515, um, go, to their, go to their Facebook page and also um, just check out the... Um, You'll always see like posts about their upcoming poetry slams or their camps. Like, come to a slam. That come to a yeah. slam. Give yourself that that honor of seeing those teenagers spit their poetry. Um, yes. Get get involved that way. And um, I also um, I act with um, Pyramid Theater Company, which is a new theater company that was started last year. Um, that is Des Moines' um, first um, African American theater company that focuses. On um, our on our stories, and really does a fantastic job of telling them. Their season um, is kicking off here um, in uh, actually here in a, in a in a week or so, and cool. they will be having shows at the Stoner Theater at the Des Moines Civic Center. So um, follow Pyramid Theater Company on Facebook or um, check check out their website pyramidtheater.org. Um, and um, get get tickets. They do fantastic, fantastic work. I love working with them. I took I took this um, theater season off just to focus on my music, but next season I'll be right back with them. Uh, they are fantastic. Check them out. <laughs> All right. So yeah. Emmett, thank you so much for joining me for this hour of talk with me. Well, thank you. Thank you. I had a great time. Thank the producer. Thank you, listeners. Yes. Um, yeah, keep tuning in.
Yes. You obviously doing great work with this show. <laughs> thank you, thank you. And I want to remind people of these two things. You know, when when Emmett, when you're talking about who you are, and I love I love this that you know talking about your culture. This is something we can all embrace: a sense of unity and responsibility for others. It's beautiful. Yeah. And, and I need to give one more shout out at the beginning of the show. I said this episode is dedicated to Jessica Elise, dear friend who passed the day before this recording, spoken word artist, lover of life, light of so many people. Just your life wow. lingers forever. Thank you. Thank you, listeners, and so long to our listeners. <laughs>